It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now, so get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 89. Itsy Bitsy Spiders. Everywhere. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have the almost eighth doctor, Paul Gann. Jason. Yes. Get your gun. (laughs) (laughs) I want my firebomb. (laughs) I feel like I should break into song or something. Annie, get your gun. Mm. Jason, get your gun. Mm. <laughs> I want my firebombs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me guess. All those creepy crawly spiders were just your favorite thing mm. ever. Let me put it this way. And you might disagree with me, but these were probably some of the most realistic spiders that I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> um, yeah, they were pretty, pretty terrifying. They uh, looked more realistic to me than Harry Potter. Uh, then, then Shelob, uh, you know, um, just the overall movement and everything. It, I honestly felt like they just took a bunch of spiders, put them in front of a green screen, and then superimposed them over everything. Yeah. <laughs> what you don't know, Paul, is they actually cast spiders that big to act in the show. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, no. That's a giant nope. <laughs> In case you couldn't tell, folks, we are back and we're going to be talking about the fourth episode in Series 11, Arachnids in the UK. We'll be doing our review about that. But first, before we jump into any of that, we have some rumor, news, something. Hybrid. That kind of, hey, watch it with the hybrid talk. <laughs> they kind of blurted out into the uh, the social media ether the last couple days here. And uh, we figured we'd just talk about it real quick. Now, none of this is confirmed, but supposedly we're not going to be getting a Christmas special this year. Now, before you start raging against the machines or the TARDIS or whatever, riding in the streets, riding. Yeah. You know, spinning yourselves into silk cocoons with the help of your friendly neighborhood spider, mutinizing the TARDIS. Yeah. Um, the going <laughs> discussion is that instead of a Christmas special, it'll be a new year's special. So you just have to wait an extra week, which is interesting. Chris Chibnall has said for sure we're getting an 11th episode to tack right. on to the end of the season. Right. 
we have not confirmed if it's a Christmas special, if it's a New Year's special, if it's an Easter special, because we had one of those, <laughs> you know, back with David Tennant. The news article that we have. Which is from the independent.co.uk. It talks about it as if it is official news, but it got its information from the mirror. Right. As well as a couple of other sources and kind of cobbled this together. So this is not an official release from the BBC to Radio Times or something like that. This is plausible speculation that makes sense that it could happen this way. Yeah. So And and some of the discussion around why it would be a New Year's special rather than a Christmas special is because even Stephen Moffat has had difficulty in past years trying to come up with stories around Christmas. So the thought is maybe we move it back a week get New Year's in the mix and and have a different celebration to have the episode be focused around. Well, that would explain the reason why the return of Dr. Mysterio barely had anything Christmas in it at all. <laughs> right. But, you know, I personally thought that the way he pulled off the last Christmas special was spot on perfect for Christmas because of the, the subject matter that it involved. And I think that if we have to take a couple of years to not have a Christmas special so they can kind of refresh, you know, the the palette and, and come up with some new ideas for Christmas. I think that if we, if we get it on new year's, it's still good. You know, we're, we're not losing an episode. It's just, we're not going to have that Christmas feel to it. And to be perfectly honest, it would fit better in my schedule to watch. <laughs> not going to lie. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, that being said, none of this is confirmed. It's all speculation at this point, but you know, as we get closer to December, We'll be keeping an eye on things and, you know, see what may come of all of this. This this is smacks of something where they wanted to get, to get the scoop before it actually got officially released so that they could say, we were the first ones to tell you, you know. Exactly. And, and sometimes when they try to scoop the official stuff, uh, they're wrong. <laughs> so um, I, I'd say it's about 50-50 on that. This could be, this could very well be what happens, but we also could be, you know, after gorging ourselves on Christmas dinner, be settling down for a long winter's Doctor Who Christmas special. Now, on the flip side of that, there is another part to this that we probably should go ahead and address, and that is the fact that there is heavy, heavy speculation included in this article, no less, that says that we will be getting no Doctor Who for the entirety of 2019. Now, all of that speculation comes from the fact that they have not set the start date for new episode filming. Yes. Uh, which they started filming, I believe, in January uh, for 2018 for October. Now, I did see somebody with the BBC say that they hadn't set an October release date when they started filming. Mm -hmm. So basically, they had plenty of time to work out the kinks get used to the new cast, get used to the new right. writers, kind of experiment with things. I think, you know, if I recall correctly, Doctor Who generally films all of its episodes within about four months. Mm. And so they could start later and still have a fall release in 2019 for Series 12. Mm -hmm. I think this is just a whole lot of frantic, oh my God, <laughs> without any evidence. Right. And, and we have no idea when... Series 12 will start filming. Um, the the going speculation is that it will be spring sometime, mm -hmm. which still sets it up for a fall to winter release. 
as long as all the ducks fall in a row. You know? Right, exactly. Um, now, I don't know how different it is when filming in the UK versus filming a series in the United States, but I do know there are quite a few shows that will wrap filming a month before the episode airs. Uh, wrap filming on a, a specific episode a month before it airs. Right. And then, of course, soap operas, you know, which are all shot, you know, live on set, are basically filmed and are on the air either the next day or the next week. Mm-hmm. So it is entirely possible to have a, a more constrained shoot time and still make the, the fall to winter release date. Right. So I'm not well, concerned about this. I know some of the DC shows for CW, some of those actually are still filming their final episodes of the season when the season starts to air. Oh, yeah. And uh, I know that Stephen Moffat has talked about that in the past, how uh, he has had uh, at least one or two seasons of Doctor Who where they were finishing up the final episodes of the season while the current season was airing. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that happened last series. Yeah. And I think the entire series was done before they started premiering this time. Mm -hmm. They just hadn't finished up the special episode, whatever that's going to be, Christmas or New Year's. Right. So... Yeah, no, that this is this is a normal thing for TV shows, folks. Don't I wouldn't get concerned. I really wouldn't. I don't think they'll take a, a year off after this season. I really hope not. I would think that would be the most ridiculous, stupid thing ever, and that would kill any momentum that they have gotten back after this season. You're actually looking at the reason why the viewership went down as drastically as it did for the last two Capaldi seasons is because of the amount of space between those series. Yeah. Because it was almost like that people lost interest in it just because it wasn't in the main public eye for so long. Yeah. Out of sight, out of mind. Right. And I got to say, I think the writing this season is the most consistent, high quality writing we have gotten from a Doctor Who season in a long time. I would agree with that. Yeah. That was my biggest complaint with the Capaldi years is he was such a great doctor. Mm hmm. But there were episodes where the writing just fell short. Well, there were a couple of episodes that we had, like um, Sleep No More, where the, the, the issue was not as much the quality of the writing itself as it, as it was the weirdness of the subject matter to the point where you were looking at it and going, I don't get it. Right. <laughs> because right. the quality of the writing in that episode was not the problem. It was the subject matter of the episode itself that threw everything off. Yeah, your monster... Your monsters are sleep <laughs> from the corners of your eyes. Sleep dust. So so sometimes you've got high-quality writing, but not a very well-thought-out story. And then sometimes you've got lower-quality writing that would have made that good story even better had the writing quality been up to par. Yeah. But the writing has been, in my opinion, some of the highest quality we've gotten consistently in a long time on Doctor Who this season. So I'm I'm really pleased with that. Speaking on that subject, this might be the first episode of the season that I've had any real thoughts on as far as any negativity towards the writing process. But we'll get into that in a moment. Yes, we will, because we are going to <laughs> crawl our way over into our discussion of the latest episode of Doctor Who. Let me give you the rundown here. This is Arachnids in the UK, Series 11, Episode 4. It premiered on October 28th, 2018. It was written by Chris Chibnall, the showrunner, and directed by Sally Aprahamian. Hope I pronounced that right, because I'm not sure about that. 
Mine, oh no. Mine, oh no. He said, okay, okay, I'm going to stop right there. This is not my Star Wars podcast. <laughs> but there's our Star Wars reference. That is. <laughs> the synopsis for arachnids in the UK, not anachrids, by the way. I almost said it, yeah. called it anachrids. Anachronism? Um, sure. Um, <laughs> the synopsis for arachnids in the UK is... The 13th Doctor finally manages to bring her friends home, but with more time alone on the horizon, she soon discovers that something unnatural has happened to the eight-legged population of Sheffield. Why have they converged in an unopened hotel? And why is there a man going around like he owns the place? No. He kind of does. He kind of does. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Paul, uh, give us a quick spoiler-free uh, reaction to arachnids in the UK. And tell us about how much you love creepy crawly spiders. Kill them with fire. <laughs> <laughs> mm, that's how this episode should have ended. <laughs> Kill them with fire, burn Kill it them. to the ground, and dance on the ashes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Any other thoughts on this episode that are spoiler free? These were some of the best spiders I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> they were very, very convincing, very believable. And the fact that I love horror as much as I do, they were creepy as crap. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, I don't like spiders. I like spiders about as much as I like sharks. That's why I don't swim in the ocean. I thought that this was pretty well paced. I thought that this was... Um, a really kind of a, a fun follow-up to the heavy subject matter that we got on our last episode. Mm -hmm. I felt like that after that episode, and I don't mean this in a negative way, I, I feel like that after that episode, we kind of needed a little bit of levity yeah, to kind of follow that up so that we could kind of balance the series out at this point because the last episode was uh, such a heavy episode. And so I felt like we had just enough comedy in this to make it fun but it was creepy. You know what I'm saying? And there were a few times that I was watching this and I was like, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. What are you doing? You know? <laughs> yeah. So that's, to me, that's always kind of uh, the way that you can tell that it's, that's a good scary ride is when you're talking to the screen and saying, Hey, idiot, stop that. You know? <laughs> Yeah. We'll get into my probably most favorite moment in the episode in a little bit. All right. I like this episode. Uh, I don't think it's my favorite episode of the series thus far. No. But I I thought the spiders were terrific. Shelob still scares me more, but <laughs> these could have been grandchildren of Shelob. <laughs> but as much as the spiders sort of dominate everyone's recollection of the episode, I think some of the, the stuff that we get with the companions, both at the beginning and the end of the episode in particular, I think has some really profound impact on, on where we go from here. And we'll get into the specifics of that here momentarily. But um, overall, I think it was really good. I I enjoyed it. The spiders themselves overall didn't creep me out that much. I did watch this with my mom, who <laughs> definitely had the heebie-jeebies going. Although that bathroom scene... <laughs> that one was a bit disturbing. <laughs> um, I will hold comment. <laughs> yes. 
Spoilers. All right, let's go ahead and just jump <laughs> into the uh, into everything here, um, <laughs> and hopefully we won't get stuck in a web. <laughs> I'm going to be making these terrible jokes all episode, just so you know, folks. Um, <laughs> Paul, let's start at the beginning here. The doctor finally lands them in Sheffield. What? I want to start at the end. No. <laughs> no. What about the middle? We'll get there. <laughs> at the end. <laughs> oh, we'll get to the middle at the end? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see where the discussion takes us. <laughs> I just want to talk about the opening scene here real quick. Why, with why do doc- I feel like I'm your foible? <laughs> well... Do I need to answer that? <laughs> I, uh, I have to be good at something, Jason. <laughs> uh, I want to start with the first scene we get with the Doctor and the Companions. The Doctor finally gets them back to Sheffield 20 minutes after they left. Which, of course, it's felt like weeks for them, you know, right. I'm sure. And And can we just talk about the Doctor essentially... Manipulating them? Kicking, <laughs> kicking her foot in the dirt, going... Oh, well, I guess I'll just be by myself and travel alone and, like you I know. Said, Matt Smith moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Th- th- this doctor hasn't uh, developed a bluntness with her companions yet to the point where she can just say, I don't want y'all to leave. Can you just, you know, stick around for a bit? And so she makes Yaz invite everybody in for tea, essentially. See, that's where that's where Jodie Whittaker deviates. From Chris Eccleston. Ah, Eccleston. Be- because uh, Eccleston, his doctor just looks at Rose and goes, you want to go with me? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and Tennant's going, hey, travel the universe. See amazing things. Go on adventures. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's like, you know, doing the sales pitch. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, uh, they go in for tea. Um I'd like to skip, though, to the end real quick, because I want to talk about these scenes kind of in in conjunction with each other when the companions come back and decide that they're going to travel with the Doctor. Let's see. We did start at the end. We start at the beginning and then (laughs) skip to the end. Don't give me that, Paul. (laughs) The the beginning was just the prequel to the end. I'm going to throw something at you. I'm going, I'm going to summon the spiders to your recording studio. Mm. <sighs> now you get me looking around. Mm, I'm, I'm not messing around. <laughs> so we we learned through the course of the episode essentially why the companions thought they wanted to be home, but realized home wasn't exactly where they wanted to be yet. Ryan doesn't want to go back to working in the warehouse. Plus, his dad is trying to reach out to him and reconcile, quote unquote, by saying that he can come and live with proper family. I want to talk about that. We'll go ahead and talk about it. Finish your thought. Um, Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yaz, uh, you know, loves her family so much. But, my God, they get on her nerves. And, And she, you know, she still lives at home. And she wants to be able to get out spread her wings, find her own place in this world, and and really discover who she is outside of her family. 
And then, of course, we get some of the most heartbreaking moments of this episode with Graham when he goes back home and and sees Grace everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and he cannot confront the grief yet. Right. And so he... He says the thing about grief is that it, it needs time, which is true, but he's also trying to run from it. Hopefully, if he keeps himself busy enough, you know, it won't catch up to him. Yeah, that, my, my brain works that way. <laughs> if, I, if, I, if I stay focused enough on something else, I don't have to focus on this thing that I don't want to focus on. Right. So, yeah, it's they all have their reasons to to want to leave where they're at. And so when the doctor essentially, you know, offers them to continue on, they jump at it. Well, they, they convince her to let them stay. Although I don't think she would have needed much convincing. <laughs> and then, of course, we get Team TARDIS. We, we now have a name for this crew, Paul. That actually goes back to a Max Smith episode, though. Does it? Mm-hmm. When did he call them Team TARDIS? Uh, I remember. Was that Amy and Rory? Yes. That, well, that was the one uh, where they had to uh, go into the, was the core of the TARDIS. Oh, um, and everything went wibbly wobbly, and yeah. Rory, you know, got lost and thought he lost Amy, and thought he was there for years, and or she thought he was there for years. That that weird one. Yeah. Uh, what was it? I can't remember the name of it now. I don't remember the name of that episode. But it, yeah, it was the one where they had to uh, to delve deeper into the TARDIS than they had ever traveled before as a group, and they had to go into the heart of it and. Uh, and I can't remember what they had to do, but you know which one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we called them Team Tardis. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, they've resurrected it. <laughs> and I think I think it fits this group better than Rory and, and Amy. <laughs> well, there, there are more of them this time. Yes, that's true. But what did you think of this whole thing of the Doctor not wanting to be alone? And then, of course, the companions each coming to their own realization that they want to stay and travel. Reminded me of the episode where the original companions decided to leave the first doctor. Mm. If you'll remember that episode. Ian and Barbara. Yeah. We got to see the doctor for the first time actually be heartbroken about the idea of them leaving, you know, because it happened so suddenly, you know, it was like, well, I hadn't really contemplated about the fact that you guys weren't going to be here forever, you know, and then they're gone. And he just happens to have, some new companions at that point, but yeah, that that's kind of the way that this felt to me, the same kind of feel that we got in that episode. Yeah, no, it, it really did. And if you're interested, folks, I think that's what Invasion of the Daleks? The Dalek, Dalek Invasion of Earth. No, 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 no. No, that's the one with that when, when Susan leaves. Yeah, Susan left in that one. And that one was, was bittersweet in itself, but the one I'm thinking of is... Uh, For the, they, the Daleks are chasing them all you know across time and space. We did a review on it. We should be able to remember it. The chase. I mean, <laughs> Duh. It's, it's the one where they ended up finding uh, Stephen? Yes, Stephen. And Vicky had already joined. She joined, the, the, epi- she joined the, the crew of the episode after the Dalek invasion of Earth. She took Susan's, Susan's place. spot. Yeah. Yes, so they, uh, it is very similar to the storyline, The Chase, from the first Doctor. And we did a review of that episode way mm-hmm. back in the day. So if you want to check that out, feel free to uh, look back in our archives on our website, which is TalkingTimeLords.com. There you go. <laughs> Little plug. But it, did, it did, have, did have kind of that sort of feel. It deadhead? Shush. 
<laughs> but what did you think of their reasons for coming back? Because you, you said you wanted to talk specifically about Ryan. For me, it would be the same the, the same for anybody. I mean, it's just human nature to kind of want to go home, you know. But I think that sometimes because it is such an ingrained thing in human nature to want to go home, sometimes all you're thinking about is going home and you're not thinking about the actual act of being home. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that, well, I mean, you look at it this way, the, the doctor loves Gallifrey, but the doctor doesn't love being on Gallifrey. No. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And there are reasons why the doctor doesn't love being on Gallifrey. And I think if those reasons were taken away, then he might feel differently about going back there. You know, we don't want to get into what those are because we'll have a whole nother episode. Yeah. But my point being that sometimes going home doesn't feel like you're home once you get there, if that makes sense. Right. It's the feeling of home changes based mm -hmm. on who you're with and what you're doing and where you're at in life and all that fun stuff. Right. What I wanted to bring up with Ryan, especially, and this kind of, it, it, sometimes being home doesn't feel like home. Well, you can also say the same thing about family. Blood doesn't make family. No. Just because you're blood related to somebody doesn't make them your true family. They, it makes them their, your biological family, but it doesn't make them your right. family. I've seen more times than not where people choose to be family because they want to be family and not because they have to be family. Right. And I feel like that that is something that we started seeing the indication of with Ryan in this episode was he's gotten a chance now to start to get to really know Graham. Yeah. And he, especially with our last story arc, got to know what kind of man that Graham was in the fact that Graham chose to make him part of his family, even though it could have cost him his own life. Yeah. And the fact that you hear him talking about the fact that he read that letter from his father that said, you need to come live with your proper family. And he took offense at that because he said, I don't like the way that that sounds. I don't like the fact that he said that. Right. That tells me that he is starting to have more of a feeling of family with Graham than he is with his father. Yeah. Yeah. And I really liked seeing that in the episode because Graham at this point deserves to be considered Ryan's family. Yes, he does. What did you think about the scenes where Graham was back at home and seeing Grace? Did, did it surprise you to see Grace there? It, it kind of hit home a little bit because I had to watch my grandmother go through the stages of grieving and mourning my grandfather. Mm. And it kind of reminded me of some of that, especially when Graham is sitting with her sweater and he's just smelling of her sweater because it makes him feel like she's still there because it smells like her, mm -hmm. you know? And... I know that I've heard people talk about when they've lost a spouse, they, they hug that person's pillow because that pillow smells like that person. And to me, that was just so true to life and so real world that that is something that somebody really does in that mourning process, you know, mm -hmm. and the fact that this was the, for all indications and purposes, this was the first time he had been at, in that home alone. Yeah. since her death. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that he probably went back there after the events of the first episode 
before they ended up getting zapped into space. But I'm pretty sure he probably wasn't alone. He probably had Ryan with him. You know, maybe the whole group was with him, you know. Right. And this was the first time he was in that house alone. Yeah, I think you're right. Do you like Yasmin's family? I do. (laughs) But I do have a little quibble. Oh. Because I felt like that we had a, a trope in this that I've seen in a lot of other shows. And that is a lot of times you'll see a show try to use comedy in the fact that they try to make the father look a little bit less intelligent, look like he's a little less intelligent and a little bit less of an authority figure than he actually should be in real life. Hmm. You you follow where I'm going with that? Yeah. I see that when I, when I, of course I've got kids, so I've seen some of these Disney channel shows and stuff. I've seen that used a lot in some of those shows where the mom is the smart, witty, you know, kind of authority figure. And the dad's just kind of like there. And he's another kid. He's almost like another kid, you know? Yeah. And and I'm not going to lie and say that dads don't have that aspect to them. But I feel like that sometimes in these TV shows and stuff, the father kind of gets treated like he just kind of bumbles around and stuff. And it's been my experience in life that most dads aren't like that, you know? Um, and so that was kind of my quibble there is the fact that he just, he kind of almost felt like a piece of the furniture, if you know what I'm saying. Mm. Um, Although he was right. There was something going, going on with all that trash. Yeah. I mean, they made him quirky and stuff, but they just didn't give him anything to do. Right. They kind of, they made him just borderline clueless, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, that, that, that kind of bugged me a little bit. That, that was one of the things I was talking about earlier when I said that I had a couple of things I wanted to bring up about the writing, you know. And and Yasmin's mom just seems to be trying to uh, find out who Yasmin's going to date. <laughs> um, she asks both right. the doctor and Ryan if, you know, they're with Yasmin. See, that's one thing that I was going to bring up about Yasmin. Let's go ahead and talk about Yasmin. Because Yasmin, you get the impression when you meet her family that she's never even given them an impression of having any romantic interests in anybody at all. Right. At least not to them because they, they don't even know if she's straight or not. You know, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) mean, (laughs) so you, you kind of get the impression that this is the first time she's like brought anybody to the (laughs) house. (laughs) They've never seen her friends before. (gasps) She actually has them. Her sister, you mean you actually have friends? Right. You know? <laughs> so I thought that was kind of a, a funny little thing, you know, because, you know, okay, her, she's getting upset because her mom keeps asking her questions, but her mom keeps asking her questions because she never gives her any information about her life, <laughs> you know? So, you know, what do you expect if you, uh, you know, if, if your parents don't know anything about you at all? Of course, they're going to ask questions. You know, well, I've, I've seen those. <laughs> I've seen those relationships before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think I think Ryan knows more about Yasmin than her own parents do. You know? Yeah. And they barely knew each other until the show started. <laughs> Although I, I do think that they might be seeding some sort of relationship with Ryan and Yasmin. Well, I think at least on his side anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. But she, she kind of comes off as flirtatious with him on occasion, but he acts like he doesn't notice it. And then when 
he basically follows her around sometimes like a puppy dog. Right. She pretends like she doesn't notice, you know? So it's kind of one of those things, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think <laughs> by the end of it, they'll leave together in, you know, arm in arm <laughs> and, and, and that'll be it. You know, I, I, yeah. Doc, Doctor who does that sometimes they, they have well, this, this thing I mean, about shipping two of the characters together. I mean, you when know? you've gone on adventures through time and space <laughs> like this, and, and it broadens your mind and your perspective in, in the way that that kind of thing would do. And you manage to, to travel with someone, you know, who you find attractive and you find <laughs> that you connect on a much deeper right. level. I mean, it makes sense, you know, with, with all of this, this change, all of this stuff that you've experienced and who else are you going to be able to share that kind of stuff with? Honestly, the one that I'm still probably the most hung up over, which I think is brilliant, is Mickey and Martha. Because <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Mickey, Mickey fawned all over Rose and Rose right. essentially dumped him for a less good copy of the doctor. And then the doctor just kind of passed over Martha completely while she fawned over him for an entire season. Right. And then that, then she and Mickey end up being like soulmates, you right, know? Right. You know, they, <laughs> they met one another and immediately they had a connection. Right. You know? they, they, well, they met one another after being, you know, dumped by people that they absolutely adored. They probably met at the bar, drowning their sorrows. Um, <laughs> And found out that they both knew the doctor, and 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 that was the end of it. And now they are soulmates and inseparable. And good for them; they deserve I, each other. I'd like to see them come back in the show at some point. That's just me. <laughs> that would be. I fun. think it'd be fun. That would be fun. They, they could be the alternate version of Amy and Rory. Mm. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, I, I think we we need to talk about uh, Robertson, played mm. by Chris Noth. First of all, I got to say, I love Chris Noth. I think he was delightfully over the top in this episode. <laughs> uh, however, I, I do think the big, bad American businessman stereotype, a little heavy-handed here. <laughs> yes, the, the stereotypical egocentric, egomaniacal, overbearing American businessman. What would you think about uh, Robertson? <laughs> Especially when you essentially turn him into Donald Trump. And say that he's going to run in 2020 in, because he hates Donald Trump. He was kind of like Donald Trump on steroids, I think. Yeah, except without the um, Twitter account. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, I I liked the idea of the character. I didn't necessarily like all the aspects of the character. And well, he's the villain. You're not supposed to like all the aspects. <sighs> well, the thing is, I didn't start the episode out thinking that he was going to be the big bad of the story. I started the episode out feeling like that he was going to be kind of the misguided character that we've gotten in some of the other episodes that uh, kind of gets his comeuppance by the end of it, but not necessarily the big bad, if you get what I'm saying. So kind of kind of like Epso? Uh, to a point, but um, I'm thinking more of uh, like the, the American businessman that was in the bunker for the Ninth Doctor's episode of Dalek. Okay. The one that was collecting all the artifacts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he wasn't actually the big bad of the episode. He was a very unlikable character, but he wasn't the big bad of the episode. The Dalek was the big bad of the episode. You see what I'm saying? Well, but yeah, but the thing is, I don't think Robertson is the big bad. He's just the ignorant boob 
who kind of ended up with all of the big bad, you know, in his lap, and he didn't do anything about it. I don't know. I, I kind of felt like that he, they kind of twisted him to be the big bad towards the end of it. But we can talk about that in a minute. The the thing that that, that I kind of had a little bit of trouble with this character was I, I, I couldn't figure out personally if they were making a political statement about our president or if they were just kind of stereotypically saying that this is how Americans are when it comes to, you know, firearms and, and violence and, you know, all of these kinds of things. You know what I'm saying? And I, I think I, I think it's more uh, a an over-exaggerated stereotype than a, a, a specific, you know, uh, statement on, you know, Donald Trump. Yeah, but, but you get my point, right? Yes. Um, and it got to the point at, at one point before the end of it where you almost kind of felt like that he was a caricature. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because he, he, he started to come off almost satirically before you got to the end of the episode, you know? Yes. And see, I, I don't mind the occasional caricature villain, mm-hmm. you know, because you know, I don't really think he's technically a villain. He's an antagonist. Yeah, he's no Darth Vader. No, he, he, <laughs> he's not, you know, he's not a, you know, a big bad in the sense that he's going to be a, a villain for all time that will, you know, live on in the doctor's mind as one of the worst people ever. But he's he's kind of just a a, a stubborn guy who wants to do things his own way, and that way is not the doctor's way. He felt like a man-child to me. A bit. Because he, he was constantly throwing tantrums and pointing the finger at somebody else and not taking responsibility for the things that he did himself. Well, you he's know. used to having everything go his way and people asking how high when he tells them to jump. And right. he gets, you know, rolled into a situation where nobody is going to take his crap and <laughs> everything is out of his control. <laughs> I think my favorite line in this uh, episode, uh, as far as he's concerned, was when he told everybody where the door was to go to the uh, with the sub level, and he wasn't going to let Yasmin's mom go through the door. He's like, "Everybody but you," and she looks at him and says, "You're not the boss of me anymore. <laughs> You're not the boss. Not the boss of me anymore." Yes. <laughs> and he just kind of got this look on his face, like, "Okay, now what do I say?" You know. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that was good. That was good. What wasn't good is the fact that they found, you know, Frankie and Kevin all, you know, strung up right. in the larder. Um, do, do, do you want to go ahead and start talking about the spiders? I mean, they are kind of <laughs> the main thrust of the episode. All right. What, how did you feel about it when they went into the very first flat and started finding the spiders webs everywhere? Oh, well, I mean. It starts off as just a couple of big webs. And mm-hmm. as they get further and further into the house, there's more of them. And they're like, and they're bigger and they're thicker. And it's like, yeah. oh, God. Oh, no. This spider grew as it got further into the house. How big is it going to be? And it turns out to be the size of a, you know, a radio controlled car, essentially. I was going to say a chihuahua, but yeah, you're oh, probably no, more it's, accurate. It's, it's bigger than a chihuahua. <laughs> Maybe a cocker spaniel or a, yeah. a corgi, <laughs> except without the cute wiggly butt. <laughs> Definitely no cute wiggly butts on these spiders. <laughs> um, I think oh. that, I think one of the creepiest things 
in the episode is when it first comes out from under the bed. That first spider. Mm. Um, <laughs> not the creepiest, but one of the creepiest. <laughs> the, the, the thing that I thought was, uh, was interesting was when Ryan said, uh, what, what do you say? What kind of spider would do this? <laughs> and the doctor says, I think you're asking the wrong question. I think you should be asking, where is the spider that did this? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. And my thought was that was the question I was asking. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh dear. Uh yeah, that was not cool. Um no. But uh we'll get back to that point in a minute. Um because I have something to bring up about that. Once you get to the hotel, what was the creepiest moment for you once they got to the hotel? Oh, the bathroom, the bathtub. <laughs> without a doubt um, that was my favorite moment in the entire episode <laughs> it was a great moment uh, it was just <laughs> freaky as all get out this giant spider busts out of the freaking bathtub and drags a guy down into it but that wasn't the first part the first part was when the dude closed the door and left him in there <laughs> You hear a couple of gunshots and the guy's screaming and you're like, oh my God. I, I, I looked at the kids and because the kids are sitting there watching this. My four-year-old was watching this and my four-year-old's going, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? You know, I don't think he wanted to go to bed that night. Oh man. I mean, there's nothing creepier than giant spider legs reaching up out of the hole in the floor to get onto the bathroom floor. Yeah. I, I looked at, I looked at the kids and I was like, he just left him in there. And my daughter was like, yep. <laughs> because those things don't face her at all. <laughs> she was the least faced in the entire house about the creepy crawly spiders. But if you let one in her bedroom for real, she would burn the house down. <laughs> That's funny. On the screen, not phased at all. In the house, kill everything in sight. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh man but yeah no that's that is definitely the creepiest scene it was definitely the scene where i went oh this is real you know yeah <laughs> oh this is bad <laughs> so i i i thought it was i thought it was great i thought it was freaky as all get out but it was you know it was <laughs> believable and that's the scary thing is that the what we saw on screen believable mm -hmm. i think you're right, right some of the best CG spiders I've ever seen. Okay, have you ever played Skyrim? Uh, I have watched people play Skyrim. Have you seen the giant spiders in Skyrim? Uh, yes. There's one that's probably about the same size as a, as a minivan. There was a scene in this episode that reminded me of that scene in Skyrim where they're in the ballroom <laughs> and they're looking, trying to see, um, you know, if they can find anything. And Graham looks at Ryan and says, um, did you check the ceiling? Oh, and I Ryan know. says, no. Did you check the ceiling? He says, no. And they look and descending from the ceiling is a spider that is bigger than a commercial van. Right. And when that came down and started chasing them, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat and I'm going, Oh my God! Nightmare fuel! Nightmare fuel! Nightmare fuel! <laughs> yeah, because that is something that I literally 
would have nightmares about, <laughs> you know, because, and I have actually had dreams about giant spiders before, believe it or not. Um, oh. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, defending your family from giant spiders. Uh, that's, that's, yeah, that's nightmare fuel. Um, <laughs> so that was the second most terrifying moment for me uh, in the episode was when that giant spider <laughs> came after them in the ballroom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course, we find out that essentially what is causing the spiders to get this big is the fact that there's toxic waste that is leaking out of this landfill that the hotel is built on top of. And the big conspiracy about all of this is that the guy that owns the hotel owns the landfill too. And the guy that was in charge of the landfill didn't follow regulations and stuff and allowed this toxic waste and stuff to be dumped into the landfill when it wasn't supposed to be. Right. And when he found out about it, after the hotel had already been built, he put a hush job on it. Uh, yes. Which is the reason why he fired Yasmin's mom in the first place was because he assumed that she had heard them talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's not cool. No. No, it's not. We did get a brief glimpse of the psychic paper. I don't know if you noticed that. I did. So. Did you like how that was treated, though? It, what do you mean, huh? how it was treated? The reason I, I like the way it was treated in this way. It was used to effect to have the people that already knew about it to be able to say, hey, look, it's the psychic paper. But for people that were not already familiar with that, it wasn't bogged down with explanation. It was just the doctor flashes something that she pretends is an identification and we move on. Yeah. It wasn't something that slowed down the pace of the story. Whereas when we had Eccleston with Rose explaining that in their episode, it made more sense in the moment for him to explain that to her after the fact. But in this sense, it did not. And so I thought it was used to, to good effect in that way. Yeah. No, I think, it, I think it was used well. And, and it was one of those blinking, you'll miss it things, but it is, one of those very Doctor <laughs> Who things that's around now that people start looking for. And I'm glad we're starting to see those things appear more now in the show because one of my favorite things about the show is the fact that it is extremely self-referential. Mm -hmm. And we haven't done a lot of that yet this season. There's been a lot less of the referencing back to things and that sort of mm -hmm. thing. For example, before this episode came out, I rewatched the entire six episode arc of Planet of the Spiders, mm -hmm. which is a third Doctor storyline. Of course, each episode is 20 minutes, so, you know, two episodes make up a full one of these episodes. But I rewatched that just in case there were any, you know, comments or references back to right. Planet of the Spiders. They were not. Would have been a perfect opportunity for that. It would have been. You know, uh, when she, you know, is seeing the giant spider, she could have said, you know, is there a blue crystal? Maybe she could have mentioned something about Metabilis 3, which is mm -hmm. where the giant spiders came from. You know, just a throwaway little line. I would have been very happy to have that, but we didn't get any of that. Yeah, when they were explaining where they came from, just just a line to say, well, it's a good thing they're not from, you know, and just yes. throw that out there. Uh, and the new new viewers might not get that, but classic viewers would get it all day long. Right. You know, um, or, or something to the, of the effect of, you know, she could have said, oh, man. Would you believe this isn't the first time I've run across giant spiders? You know, some, right. something like that would have been, you know, very appealing to me as well. But we did not get that, which is fine. I will say this. This is just my opinion. You might feel differently. But in my opinion, 
we saw a direct deviation from the Doctor Who that we've seen in the past in this episode. And this is what I mean, especially in the classic series. In the classic series, they would have gotten out guns and fired on these things all day long. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, it would have been a, a non-issue in the story. They would have been defending themselves from these things. Well, unit would have been there and would have <laughs> been, you know, systematically grid by grid eliminating all the spiders. Well, either that or another organization similar to unit. Yes. But in this episode, it was like they went out of their way to treat the spiders almost like they were human beings. Right. And I, that's kind of where I was kind of scratching my head and I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, you know, because <laughs> well, I'm going to be honest with you. If I was in that scenario, I would be reaching for the first weapon I could find. I mean, we all know your love for spiders, Paul. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. Well, I mean, um, and I think in most scenarios, I think most people would be doing that, you know. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah, there is that. Um, I, I get why the doctor doesn't want to kill the spiders because she's trying to find out what's going on. She's trying mm -hmm. to find out a way to to solve this where everyone is okay, but she is definitely, definitely anti-violence direct violence at least when it comes to any sort of thing because obviously you know she's very angry when robertson kills the uh the giant spider who's already suffocating because it's too right. big for its lungs to you know support it but see that's something else that I, that, that i kind of that kind of bugged me they, they already knew that they were going to kill them they already knew they were going to die because they locked mm -hmm. them all up in the freaking <laughs> panic room why did it make a difference in the method because i'll be perfectly honest with you if i had to choose between somebody shooting me in the back of the head and me dying instantaneously and me spending endless amounts of time dying of, of suffocation, water deprivation, and food deprivation, I think I might want to just get shot in the back of the head and die, to be perfectly honest with you, because the other way, you're just suffering to death. Right. I don't know. I mean, I kind of had a trouble wrapping my brain around that part of it, you know? Well, this isn't the first time that we've seen this, though, and I'm wondering if this is a deliberate theme, because in... Oh gosh, what's the name of the episode? I want to call it Desolation because that's what we called our our episode about it. <laughs> uh, the Ghost Monument. In the Ghost Monument, right. she gets all over Ryan for using the gun mm -hmm. and and uh, you know attacking the robots. When she then later on in this very same episode kills all of the remnant essentially that were you know attacking them by setting the acetylene fields on fire right. and letting them burn to death. Right. So I don't, I, I'm wondering if this is just a slight inconsistency we're going to have to deal with with this doctor, or if this is something deliberate that they're doing and they're going to bring it up later. Mm -hmm. Because it is rather interesting every time we get a very direct anti violence stance from the doctor, something dies because of an idea she had or something that she did. I mean, this has been. A, a slight ongoing theme ever since the this, the show came back with Eccleston. True. Because of the effects that the time war had on him. Because mm -hmm. we see over the course of the first series in the in the new show, which let's be honest is a continuation of the original. Let's let's not fool ourselves. But we see him change from someone who is more of a violent type of character to being more of the character that we had with David Tennant by the time you get to the end of the of the series, you know, 
Um, and mm-hmm. especially, I think it comes to a head the most in the Dalek episode, you know, when he actually draws a gun on the Dalek and threatens to blow it up, you know, because that's the time war, the war doctor is still in there at that point, you know? Yeah. But I think that this has been a progressive thing ever since the time war storyline came around. But I think it's getting to the point now to where it's like, it's, it, you know, you got to the point where Capaldi was saying, I don't like soldiers, you know? Right. And he was kind of making a broad blanketed statement of, I don't like soldiers, which he never said anything like that before the time war. Yeah. And then after the time war, you have this change, the shift in the, the way the doctor is this fundamental shift, you know? Yeah. Um, which, uh, the only time I can remember the doctor ever drawing a gun in violence after the time war was with Eccleston. Mm-hmm. Whereas you had it several times before that when it was done. Yeah. But now you've gotten to the point to where it's almost like any act that can be considered an act of war is something that the doctor is opposed to. Even though some of the acts that she has done herself are acts of indirect violence. Right. So that's, yeah. that's same result, know, different means. It, it, but it's, it's something I'm having difficulty wrapping my brain around as a long-term fan of the show, because even though it is a gradual progression of the character, I've never seen it used to this extent. It's it's interesting. Although I will say, I was revisiting some of the stories that the Seventh Doctor took part in, and oh boy, he had no qualms <laughs> about causing all kinds of havoc and mayhem. Although he took great delight in letting other people do it for him and manipulating bad guys into doing it to themselves. That seventh doctor devious son of a gun. And then let's just say (laughs) remembrance of the Daleks, probably the instigating cause for the time war. (laughs) Yeah. If you want to know why the time war started, go back and watch the seventh doctor's Dalek episode. Remembrance of the Daleks. I think you might have your reasoning there. And then listen to our review, Mm, please. On talking time Yes. (laughs) that's still one of my favorite episodes i love i love that episode i love sylvester mccoy well i I think though that even the doctor himself even i think at the end of the day i say himself because i'm thinking of capaldi at this point i'm thinking even the doctor kind of knows deep down that he or she is being a little bit contradictory yeah because if you if you'll think about it capaldi said specifically i don't like soldiers but then one of the people he has the most respect for in the first series of his run is the brigadier who was the quintessential soldier. Right. And, and I, I think that, that even he has his own hangups with his own morality sometimes. Yeah. True. So, well, it's true. <laughs> and also, you know, when, when we get the big confrontation between Danny pink and the doctor mm-hmm. and Danny essentially calls him out as being, you know, one of the officers. Right. The doctor doesn't have a comeback for it. <laughs> you know, he he just kind of glowers and glares at him. But, you know. Well, he wasn't wrong. No, no, Danny was not wrong. I want to bring up a couple things about the writing before we move into our last bits of our discussion here. Okay. Because I felt like we had a couple things that were left dangling out there that didn't get addressed. And one of those was what happened to the spider that was in the apartment Mm. What happened to the spiders that had escaped the hotel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, was everything just kind of wrapped up with a nice pretty bow on it after Mr. Big Businessman just walked out with his gun in his hand? 
it kind of felt like to me that there were a few things that were just kind of left dangling out there that we didn't really address and we didn't bring up and talk about and say, hey, look, yes, we've we've acknowledged that this was taken care of. Uh, so I'm kind of wondering if we've still got some giant spiders wandering around out there. I think um, maybe we can assume that, uh, what's her name, the, the, the scientist person, Dr. Jade McIntyre. I can. I, I think we can assume that maybe she and her team work at rounding up the giant spiders. But by, by one would hope. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> by playing more of that. Um, what kind of music did Ryan play? I don't know. I don't remember. I'd never actually heard it before. I hadn't either. Um, <laughs> I don't remember what they called it. It was. Not this was another I... instance, though, where we got modern music in the in the show, uh, and it, it, it was kind of a new and fresh kind of interesting way of doing it. You know? Yeah. If you, essentially it's from Ryan's iPod and he's like, Hey, let's play yeah. this. That should have, it's got a lot of vibrations. It'll attract the spiders. <laughs> so maybe they just go around in a, in a van playing that and, and, you know, Pied Piper, the spiders back to the, uh, the university. <laughs> now that would be a sight to see van driving down the street, <laughs> blasting music and a bunch of giant spiders crawling after it. Yeah, but I don't think I'd want to open that door that, again after they've trapped all those things in that room Mm-mm. because you don't know what's going to try to get out, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I would imagine that, that Dr. Jade is, is going to be helping to round up the extraneous spiders. As far as Robinson is concerned, Robinson, Robertson, Robertson, sorry. I saw, you know, some discussion that, you know, could he come back in a later episode? They're leaving a lot of that stuff open-ended. They are. I don't, if he does come back, I don't think it'll be this season. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll find him on the campaign trail for 2020 and <laughs> totally torpedo something for him. You know, they show up and he's like, oh, not you again. Well, I almost got the, the vibe off of that scenario with him at the end of this episode that we got with Tenet. And Harriet Jones, mm, uh, yes, you know. Uh, so I kind of I wouldn't put it past the doctor to uh, be the, the the foible in the the uh, campaign for that character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I I think Chris Noth is a likable <laughs> enough actor, and the character is you know enjoyable enough to audiences that they could bring him back. I just don't think it'll be this season. So. I think it'd be hilarious, though, if they found him on the campaign trail for 2020 somewhere and just completely shattered any chance he had at <laughs> winning the presidency due to whatever is going on. Oh, <laughs> that would that would just amuse me so much. But anyway, yeah, those those are my thoughts on those questions you had. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to bring up? I can't think of anything directly at the moment. I, I did enjoy this episode. Um, I, I've. I liked the horror aspect of it, and I liked the fact that they were able to mix the comedy and the horror together uh, quite effectively, you know, because I, I've discovered over the years as a horror fan that it feels like to me that the the horror movies that are the most effective as horror movies have a grain of comedy in them to kind of offset that horror aspect, because uh, if you just have horror and nothing else it can really become almost a depressing type of movie. Right. You know? Right. Um, and so you kind of need a little bit of something to offset and balance the horror aspect of it. But uh, I felt like the casting was well done. I felt like the um, 
the interaction with the characters, the dynamic between the characters was well done. I kind of, I'm liking some of the quote unquote throwaway lines that the doctor throws out there, but I'm still feeling like that some of the name dropping that she's doing is lying. <laughs> if you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, by the way, um, I, you brought up the, the sunglasses in the second episode. Mm-hmm. I completely thought of something that you might have missed. Hmm. She had Peter's old jacket in the first episode. She could have had the sunglasses tucked away in Capaldi's old jacket and then just transfer them to her new jacket. Well, I, I, I was thinking that at first, too, but she specifically said that all her pockets were empty. She could be exaggerating. If there's not something, if, there, if each pocket is not full, that means they're empty, Paul. No. Empty pockets. I hate empty pockets. Right? What's she going to do with sunglasses at night? She said empty pockets. That's all I'm saying. Rule number one the doctor lies. I'll let you feel the way you want to feel about that, but I'm just saying, she said empty pockets. So, you know. <laughs> Empty of anything useful, my good sir. <laughs> All right. I think we should uh, give final thoughts and ratings on... That's what I was doing. Arachnids <laughs> in the UK. Yes. I, I know you were wrapping up, but let, let's let's jump into our ratings here. I was actually just going to jump right into my rating. Well, well what, should, what should we rate these this episode? Spider legs. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Spider legs. Um how many spider legs are you going to give arachnids in the UK? I liked this episode. I didn't love this episode, if you understand what I'm saying. I, I yes. loved the horror aspect of this episode, but I I didn't love the episode in, in total. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that it was some of the best special effects we've had in the show ever. Yes, I would agree. But I just felt like that we could have gotten a little bit more exposition in the story itself because uh, there was a few things that were left kind of dangling out there. There were a few things that were just kind of glossed over through explanations and things like that. Um, and there were some, some aspects of it that just because of the behavior of the characters as a whole didn't feel as much real world to me as they should have in the episode. Because if you're the fly and you have a way to kill the spider, you kill the spider. You understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> because they found people dangling upside down in spider webs ready to be eaten. Okay, <laughs> they were being saved for food. Even if they were just going to drain the blood, that's still being saved for food. Okay, so I just I had a couple of quibbles with this in comparison to the the three we've gotten prior to this. So because of that, I can't go any higher than a seven. All right, um, I like this episode, although in retrospect, I, while I had fun with it, I had fun with the main storyline. I had fun with the interactions between all the characters. I think they've done a fantastic job casting all of these extra characters yes. uh, this season. I haven't found one that I dislike yet. And, and, and when I rewatched Planet of the Spiders, oh my gosh, there was a lady in there that was the absolute worst. <laughs> Have you seen Planet of the Spiders? Oh, you know I have. Yes, okay. Um, do you we remember were texting each other while I was watching? Oh, it. that's right. That was a while ago. You remember the old lady from Metabolus Three, the mother? Uh yes. Terrible, absolutely <laughs> horrendous. I cannot. I don't understand why she's an actor. I just absolutely 
atrocious. Well, let's be honest, too, though, especially in the classic series, there were some some times where they just said, okay, one take, that's all we get, let's move on. Right, you know? right. So if somebody didn't do a good job the first time, it's like, oh, well. You right. know? That's true. That's true. <laughs> However... In the, this season, this, this series, um, everyone that they have gotten for these secondary characters, these one, you know, one episode characters has been fantastic. I don't have a negative thought yeah. on any of them. So I enjoy. Honestly, I've not found any characters yet in this series that I feel like is a throwaway. Right. Necessarily. Right. Everyone you know? matters, even if they're only in there for one episode. Right. But, uh, you know. Even the guy that got eaten by the spider. Well, poor Kevin. <laughs> or Kevin. See, they didn't ever pull those people out either, did they? Nope. Nope. They See, were... that's what I'm talking about when I say that they were leaving stuff dangling. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> you, sir, are a goofball. But it works. <laughs> yes. So I had fun with this episode. There was a lot of fun to be had with the, the comedy uh, juxtaposed against the, the freakiness of the spiders. And I really enjoyed the sort of thriller aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Um, although looking back, I think some of my favorite moments were the the moments when the companions were really figuring out what they wanted to do. Yeah. The um, tender stuff. The tender stuff. And when they were, were figuring out for themselves in the process of this adventure, they didn't really want to leave the doctor. And so I think I'm going to give this one... Uh, is seven and a half spider legs. Almost a full spider worth of legs. <laughs> so you only chopped one off. Half of it. <laughs> I picked mine off. <laughs> Pulled it off like the wings fly. <laughs> I was going to say, say, come into my parlor, said the spider to the fly. Um, then I will show you my flamethrower. <laughs> Although, you know, never mind. Um <laughs> All right, next episode is going to be the Saranga Conundrum. And based on the little bit of promotional stuff we've gotten for that episode, it looks like this is going to take place on that spaceship or space station that we were seeing in the trailers. So I will be interested in that. I'm excited to see what we have coming up next. I have not had a chance to really look into the coming next. Um, So I can't really (laughs) offer any other thoughts on it. But, yeah, I didn't watch that part because I didn't want to be spoiled. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, so we'll just leave you the fact that next episode is going to be the Saranga Conundrum. I hope I'm pronouncing it. And we it. don't know what that means. Right. Not <laughs> at all. Uh, all right. That's going to wrap this up. Please, folks, uh, feel free to get in touch with us on our social media, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. The Twitter handle is at Talking Time Lord, or you can email us at TalkingTimeLords at gmail.com. And as we have plugged earlier in the show, you can always check out our website, TalkingTimeLords.com, for all of our previously released episodes and links to all of our social media if you forget the links. Where you can also leave us a voicemail. Yes, we did get a voicemail in our email. However, the the discussion, the, what the topic uh, that was brought up in it is something we're going to save for when we do our Peter Capaldi retrospective that we have been promising for a year now? <laughs> Not quite. Not quite a year. <laughs> um, maybe maybe seven months. <laughs> but we will do that uh, after we do our, our you know recap of, of Series 11 here. So that is imminent, 
just not yet. So we're going to save that one uh, because it, it asks some questions about uh, the 12th Doctor. So we'll, we do want to let people know that we did get one. And uh, Cody, thank you for sending that in. And we will save it for a later episode. But yes, if you want to leave thoughts for us to play on the episode, Go to the website, leave a little message on the SpeakPipe app. Ask us a couple questions. Yeah. We'd be more than happy to engage and get involved um, with you that way. So, got anything else, Paul? I'm good. Good. Good, because I think any more spider talking, you may not sleep tonight. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be sending him pictures of spiders all night long. Um, <laughs> that just means you don't get to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am a couple hours behind you, so... I can last longer. <laughs> Although I don't think that's true. Paul, I think I nap. Th- there, there are some times where I don't think Paul sleeps. Hey, I got to edit sometime, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. <sighs> that's going to wrap up this episode of talking time Lords. Uh, this has been episode number 89. It's bitsy spiders or not. So it's a bitsy. No, <laughs> for Paul, I'm Jason. And remember until next time, May you hope far-flung hopes and dream non-eight-legged dreams. (laughs) Please. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Nightmare fuel! Nightmare fuel! Nightmare fuel! Spider brought up the water spout. Ooh. Down came the rain <laughs> and washed the spider out with toxic waste. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Out came the sun and right up all the rain and the itsy bitsy spider grew as big as a fan <laughs> and crawled up Paul's back. Oh, no, 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 no. Nope, 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 nope. <laughs>